The following audio is from LCBC Church. To learn more about LCBC, visit lcbcchurch.com. Well, I am, uh, I'm so glad you guys are here with us for week one as we start this brand new series called Slacktivism. And um, let me just tell you real quick, I don't know if you're familiar with the word slacktivism or not. I wasn't familiar with it until just a couple of months ago when our team came across it. But as we kind of looked at what it meant, which we'll unpack here in just a second, we thought it was just kind of a perfect description of where we are culturally right now, but also a perfect description at a personal level of where it's so easy to kind of drift into this sort of idea of slacktivism. And if you're not familiar with the word, let me just give you the definition real quick, because this will kind of catch you up on kind of where we're going over the next several weeks with this series. So this, this is a real word. We didn't make this word up. This is actually, you can go look it up. It's in the dictionary. Slacktivism is this. It's the act of supporting a cause, or, and this is a really important phrase right here, desiring to see change, but putting forth minimal effort, commitment, or risk. So slacktivism is kind of that moment where you and I, we may be made aware of something and we feel compelled to do something. We feel inspired. We feel compassion sort of rise up inside of us. And we're like, man, I feel like I should do something, but I don't want to do anything. And so what we do is we kind of, you know, we lean into what's the least risky thing to do or maybe the, 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 the least commitment possible. So we just hashtag the cause, just sitting out there, save the cows, I don't even know, whatever. We, we just kind of hashtag, we just like the post, or we just forward the article, or we forward the post along, or whatever. And listen, I am all for creating awareness. I actually think there's a lot of positive momentum that can come from that. So I'm all for creating awareness by doing those, some of those things. Here's what concerns me. What concerns me is that for a lot of us, that's where it stops that the highest level of engagement we give to someone else's needs or maybe meeting needs or, or acting on the compassion is we just forward the post or we hit like or we just hashtag it, and it ends there. And I'm not gonna lie, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of this. I, I'm guilty of being a slacktivist. In fact, I'm particularly guilty of my own spiritual version because I think there's a spiritual version of slacktivism, and this is the spiritual version of slacktivism. We just say this, I'm sending you my thoughts and my prayers. You ever seen that? You ever said that? You ever been the receiving end of that? Like I'm sending you, I don't even know what that means that I'm sending you my thoughts, but I'm sending them to you. I don't know, don't ask me what it means telepathically. I'm sending you my thoughts, my prayers. The other person's like, that's cool, but my car booked. I just need a ride, man. Like your thoughts are great, your prayers are great. I just need a car. I'm sending you my thoughts and my prayers. I, I've done this. I've done this a lot. There's a, this is not a new thing. I mean, there's actually an article written in the Washington Post. I actually love this description. This was a couple of years ago. Laura C. said this. I, I love this. She's talking about slacktivists here. She says, slacktivists don't have to spend a Saturday doing hard labor to build a home. Slacktivists don't sacrifice a portion of their budget to a cause. They don't give anything. They just, you know, support it in name only. Slacktivists don't even have to move out from behind their screens of their electronic devices to feel like they've done something. Now, listen, I realize that some of you are sitting here today and you see that and you go, yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, that feels really good. Like, I like the idea, you know, like, why would I want to give up a Saturday? Why would I want to give any of my resources? Why would I want to, like, move out from behind the screen? But let me tell you what I know to be true about you. This is true about you. This is true about me. This is true about every single one of us. Here's what I know. I know a couple of things to be true about you. The first is this. Aren't you glad that when you had a need at one point in your life, that you had someone who didn't settle for slacktivism and loved you and supported you by acting on your behalf? Aren't you so glad 
that the people, that when you had a need at one point, that you had a person or you had a group of people who didn't just desire to help you, but they actually committed to helping you? That didn't just pray, for, give you their prayers, but they gave you their, their prayers plus their presence? In fact, if I were to talk to you and you were to tell me about the people that you are most grateful for in your life, the people you would t- tell me about would be the people who have moved in love to love you, who have supported you with action, not just desired to love you. And aren't you so grateful for that? Here's the other thing I know about you. The, the times in your life that you have felt the deepest sense of fulfillment, the times in your life where you have felt like you, you contributed meaningful contributions to someone else's life, you did not do that at a distance. In other words, if you were to tell me about the moments where you felt most fulfilled, when you felt compassion and you know, those desires to see someone's needs met, when you felt that rise up in you, the times that you would tell me about that you felt most fulfilled in those moments, you would not tell me about the thousand times you've just liked something. You would tell me about when you committed to something. You would tell me about the time you spent with them. You would tell me about the time you gave generously to helping someone. You would tell me about those moments because those moments tap into something that God has put inside of every one of us. This desire to move from just feeling compassion to acting on it. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, if you're here today and you, you would say that you're a life changed by Christ, you would say that you're following Jesus, then for you, the reason you have to, the reason I have to do everything we can, we have to do everything we can to fight that gravitational pull towards slacktivism, it's actually way, it's actually critically important because of one reason alone. And it's because you follow a savior. If you're a Christian, you follow a savior who over and over again didn't just desire to meet people's needs, but committed to it, risked, moved, acted on their behalf. You follow a savior who when two lepers approached him, who had skin diseases, who in the first century made them untouchable. No one would have touched them, maybe for their entire life. Maybe for years and years they hadn't been touched. In the first century they had to walk around. If you had leprosy and you had to yell out, think about how humiliating, how, how degrading this is. You had to yell out publicly, unclean, unclean. And in that world, when two lepers walk up to Jesus at one point, you know what Jesus does? He walks towards them. And then he touches them, something no one else was willing to do. You follow a savior who was willing to cross ethnic and racial lines in order to meet needs, something no one else in the first century was willing to do. You follow a savior who raised the dignity and elevated the dignity of women in the first century by saying, wait, wait, they can follow me too. They can be a part of this tribe. When no one was doing that, no rabbis were doing that. And he said, they have everything they need. You follow a savior who elevated the dignity of children in the first century world when children were discarded. And he said, no, 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 hold up, bring them to me. And he blessed them. In other words, if you're a Christian, you follow a savior who again and again and again and again resisted slacktivism and instead used that feeling of compassion to drive him towards acting on someone's behalf, meeting needs. And his first followers, his disciples, man, they had a front row seat to this. 
They got to witness this in flesh and blood. And one of his first followers, his name was John. And John was, most people think, the youngest of all of his disciples. Some people think he was maybe 14 years old when Jesus first saw him, looked him in the eye and says, you have what it takes to become like me. Come on, let's follow me, let's go. And years later, John is an old man now, and he's reflecting back on his experience with Jesus, and, and he wants to write it down, he wants to document it, because he's been transformed by his encounter with Jesus. So John writes these, these writings that we still have for us today. He writes one of them, it's called the Gospel of John, and he writes down you know, his experience of the life of Jesus and walking by him, and then he writes three letters. And these letters got circulated amongst the very first followers of Jesus in the Roman Empire. And, and in one of these letters, John articulates what it means to move away from slacktivism. And it is something so much greater. Look what he says. This is in 1 John chapter 3. He says, we know what real love is. We've seen it. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. It's like John is saying, I, I know it. I've seen it. I've touched real love. I've embraced real love. I watched love take his last breath. And I watched love rise from the grave again. And I watched love reach out and touch those lepers. And I watched love elevate the dignity of people around him. I saw it with my own eyes. And I saw love go to the, to the nth degree by being willing to give his life up for us. And John connects two ideas here in this one little statement that I think are just incredibly important, love and gave. That love and generosity are always tied together. That love is always giving, that love is always generous. And this is just something I think that we need to, to know. And for some of you, this is really important because some of you, you, were, you grew up with a vision of God. Someone handed you an image of God that God was stingy, that God was sort of grumpy all the time, that God was you know, always just kind of cranky. But that it could be, nothing could be further from the reality that Jesus paints for us of who God is. That God is at his core generous, indiscriminately generous. How do we know that? Because he was willing to give his life. For who? For us. Who us? All us. All the us's sitting around you right now. All the us's who have ever taken a breath. All the us's that are poor. All of the us's that are rich, all the us's that are sick, all the us's that are healthy, all the us's that are criminals, all the us's that have addiction, all of the us's who don't vote like you, all the us's who don't believe the things that you believe or share the same values, all of them are the sole object of God's relentless love to the point where he would give his life for them. John says, man, we, we, we can't forget this because this is where it starts. And I think what I would just tell you is that you will never, you'll never, ever see a more clear picture of love than when you gaze at the cross and what Jesus Christ has done for you. And John says that when we do that, like if we can let this reality right here burn itself down in our hearts, if we can embrace this and believe this and trust this, that it ought to change the way we actually live. 
that if this were true, it would actually affect the way we respond to others. Look what he says next. I think this is so interesting. He says, we know what real love is because we saw Jesus. We, he gave up his life for us. So, in other words, because of that, in light of that, since that's true, so we also ought to give up our lives for, and I don't know how you think John would end this, but my first guess would be that, it, you know, John's probably going to say, you know, that since Jesus gave up his life for us, we also ought to give up our lives for Jesus. We ought to give up our lives for God. We ought to give up our lives to build this relationship. You know, read the Bible all day long or go to church always or, you know, pray all day long. I don't even know. But, but make this relationship great. We ought to do everything we can to show that we love God back. That's not what John says. John says, in light of the extravagant love that Jesus has poured out for us on the cross, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters, for others, for the people around you, for the people in our community, for everyone. And see, what John is doing here is he's actually echoing something that Jesus talked about. He was there, John was there the day when this guy runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Like, what's the one most important commandment? Like, if I don't get this one right, you know, it doesn't matter. What's the one thing? And Jesus says, oh, that's simple. Love God and love others. The guy's like, time out, hold up real quick. You probably didn't hear me. What's the one, though? What's the one most important command, Jesus? And Jesus says, it's simple. Love God and love others. All right, one more time. But what's the one What's the one, the most important one? Jesus is like, you got it. Love God and love others. Because for Jesus, they are one. In other words, Jesus is saying, you, you can't love God and refuse to love people because God loves people. They are intricately tied together. They are inseparable. You can't separate these two realities. Which, which I think is just a way of saying this, and you know, we've talked about this idea before, but I don't think we can be reminded of this enough. I think this is part of what John's big idea is, that, that the most appropriate response to the extravagant love of God is to love others extravagantly. Always, period. No strings attached. The most appropriate response to the love and the extravagant love of God is always to love others extravagantly. And he talked about kind of what that love is, John did in that passage. Remember he said, the kind of love that was be willing to give up your life. So you also are to give up your life for your brothers and sisters. Some of you read that and you're, you know, a minute ago and you're like, oh dear Lord, what does that mean? Give up my life. Like slow your roll, John. That's a little intense. You know another way of translating that, the, the give up your life, can be just to lay aside to lay aside. Doesn't all love start with an act where something gets laid aside for the good of another? And that can be in big ways, that can be in small ways. But love always lays down for the good of another person, doesn't it? L love might mean that you lay down your agenda for how you wanted to spend the next hour and it gets redirected because there's a need that comes up. There's someone who needs to talk. There's someone who needs your energy. There's someone who needs your attention. And you lay aside, you lay down how you wanted to spend your hour to go and be with that person. That's love. 
Love may mean that you, you had your way that you were going to spend this money and then a need arises and you know, you, you're made aware of something and you feel that compelling, that desire. You lay aside how you're going to spend it and you redirect it here to help this person advance. That's love. It may mean that you have, you were hurt by someone and you have the right to revenge. You have the right to get back and you lay aside and you lay down that right to get back. That's love. Love lays down for the good of someone else. It lays down and there's never been an act of love that didn't start with someone choosing to lay aside for the good of someone else. Why? Because the most appropriate response to the extravagant love of God is to love others extravagantly. And I imagine the people who were, you know, the first century, maybe they were, they cracked open this letter from John here and they're reading it in the living room of some home and they get to this part and they're like, yeah, but what does that, what does that mean? How do you do that? What does that mean, mean to do this practically? And John's like, I'm glad you asked because look what he says next. So simple. He says, so here's an example. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And I love this because it's just so simple. John's like, don't, don't overcomplicate it. If you see a need and you have the ability and the means to meet that need, then act, then do something, move on it. Just, just move on their behalf. And the word, honestly, that as I've been looking over this this week, the word that struck me about this passage, almost more than any other word, just kind of popped out of this passage to me, is this word right here, sees. If you see someone who has need. Because John is making a huge assumption here. And the assumption that John is making is that we're actually looking. The assumption that John is making is that we're actually eyes open to see where there's need around us. And I don't know if you're anything like me, maybe some of you can relate, maybe you can't, and that's fine. But I know for my life, I go through seasons, I go in and out of seasons where my eyes get redirected and I'm not looking anymore for needs. And my eyes get completely redirected to my own world. And everything, like I become the center of my world. And I can go then a long time without realize, before I realize, man, I haven't, even, I haven't seen anybody's needs recently. Because I haven't been looking. My world has gotten really small because I'm only looking here. And I've stopped, I've stopped seeing. And what's so dangerous about this, for anybody who doesn't want to settle for slacktivism, it's, it's this, is that our capacity for compassion and love is directly proportional to our willingness to keep our eyes open, to seeing need. Because in other words, if you refuse to keep looking for where there might be need, you will never be able to act with compassion and love because you won't see it. And your world will grow very small very quickly. Years ago, Jenny and I were in Cambodia and we were in the capital city called Phnom Penh and it's one of the poorest countries in the world. Phnom Penh is, uh, there was poverty like I've never seen. And I think it was the second day that we were, in, that we were there. And we were having lunch one day at this restaurant. And in Phnom Penh, it's kind of a tropical climate. It's always hot. And so, the, you know, the, the, a lot of the, the restaurants and all that, they don't really have walls. They just kind of open up, like almost like patios out into the street. And, and so we were at this restaurant, and it was kind of this patio. So anybody from the street could walk in and could walk out. And, and so we're finishing up our meal, and these three boys walk up to our table. They walk up off the street to our table. They couldn't have been older. The oldest was certainly not older than, than 10 years old, maybe eight, 
nine, 10 years old, and they're carrying some paper in their hand. And so they walk up to our table and they put these papers in front of us and, and they're postcards or these pictures of, you know, different landmarks in Cambodia and, and whatever. And they are janky looking. I mean, they, don't, they look like, they're, they're, not even, they're not good quality. So they're putting them in front of us. They're like, you want to buy a postcard? It's probably the only English they knew. They're like, you want to buy a postcard? Want to buy a postcard? One dollar, one dollar, one dollar. And so Jenny and I are sitting there going, all right, we'll, we'll buy some of your janky postcards. Um, here you go. So we start to pull out a dollar. And then the person that we were with who lives there in Phnom Penh, she actually says, don't, no, 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 no. Don't give them any money. We were like, why? She said, well, look across the street. And we looked across the street, and there was this middle-aged man, and he was just sitting across the street, and he had, I can still see him, he had his arms crossed like this, and he was just watching those boys. She's like, they don't get a penny of that. All the money has to go right to them. He takes these kids who are abandoned to the streets, who are the most impoverished kids, and he just basically forces them into labor to getting, them, getting him money. And there was something as she's talking, and as they keep talking, and as these boys keep talking about us buying these postcards, we notice something. They keep saying, you want to buy these postcards, you want to buy these postcards, and their eyes, as they're saying all this, are locked on Jenny's French fries. And so Jenny says, do you guys want, do you want some fries? And they go, yeah. <laughs> and so gave them their French fries. And then some, you know, they, they were done at our table and they walk across the restaurant and they go to some, somewhere else and about five minutes goes by, whatever, and we're ready to leave the, you know, we're ready to leave the table at that point. So we're getting up and we're leaving and I look over and from across the restaurant, there's this guy and he is beelining it towards Jenny. So I bow up, man. I'm like, well, let's go. We're about to throw down. Like, I'm good. We're not in America. I can get away with anything right now. Plus he looked European. So I'm like, I can take him. So let's. I'm ready to roll. If you're ready to roll, big boy, let's go. Don't walk up on my wife like that. So he, you think I'm joking. Anyways, he, so he gets up to Jenny and he gets right in her face. And he said, do you want to know what those boys did after you gave them your fries? And she said, what? And he goes, they came right to my table and they interrupted my lunch and they asked me for mine. And then he turned around and he walked out. Listen, when you put yourself at the center of your story, when you make yourself the center of the world, your world will get really small really quick. And you will start to think that all the fries are for you. They're not. Guys, how, how tragic, man. How tragic to live a life so small. What a small life that is. And John summarizes everything that he's talking about here by this one last statement he makes that I think just encapsulates it all. That's what he says in this passage. He says, so dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Don't just talk a good game on this one, guys. Don't just say that we love each other. Let us what? Show, demonstrate, commit, risk, give effort. Let us show the truth by our actions. Now listen, 
I always look at a passage like this, I, and this, this, this verse in particular, and, and I sit there and go, man, if you're here today, and I know some of you are here today, and you're not a Christian, and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're kind of exploring the whole thing, and, or maybe you're not, you're just whatever, you're just here because someone invited you or whatever. Here's the thing. I always look at this passage, and I go, this passage alone, this verse right here, ought to at least make you want to explore maybe becoming one. Because, man, if that was true, like if that happened, everyone wins. If we just did that, which is the expression of following Jesus right here, if we just did that, everyone would win. Your school would win. Your team would win. Your roommates would win. Your home would win. Your neighborhood would win. Our communities would win. This church would win. Your place of work would win because you wouldn't just talk it. I wouldn't just talk about love. All we would do is just show it. We'd move on the things that to stir our hearts. We would, we would act in ways that are consistent with the desires we feel. Can you imagine, guys, a group of people like us right here, a group of people who are committed to this? They're not just talking about love, but to going and saying, we're gonna just show it? Because we've been loved so extravagantly, we're just gonna show extravagant love to everyone. No strings attached, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter your background because there's a God who loved you guys. This is what set the very first followers of Jesus apart right here. What set the very first followers of Jesus apart wasn't just what they believed. In fact, the people around them in the first century thought they were crazy for what they believed. Resurrection, like that doesn't even make sense. Like what are you talking about? You guys are crazy for the things. God in the flesh, that's crazy. People thought they were crazy for what they believed, but they could not deny the way they loved people. And it was attractive and it was compelling. And it changed the world. Changed the world. And it is still changing the world. When we get behind this. I just want you to know, man, as a church, we're committed to fighting for this right here. We want this to be a description of our church right here. And we'll fight for this to happen. And we'll guard this value to see that this happens. We want to be described that way, to be a church where it doesn't matter who walks in these doors. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter your sins. It doesn't matter your struggles. It doesn't matter your shame. It doesn't matter your doubts, that you will be loved here. You will be loved. And we may not agree on everything. We may not even believe the same things. It doesn't matter. You will be loved because you are worthy of love. Because God has poured out extravagant love on you. So we will too. This is why, man, we just celebrate. Anytime we hear stories about how this is happening in our church, we just, we go crazy, man. We celebrate them. I hold on to them because it makes my heart about burst out of my chest. A couple of years ago, and I think I've told you this before, but a couple of years ago, you know, every weekend here, we have a couple hundred people who come to our church for the very first time. Never been to our church. And every now and then, you know, once people come to our church, they'll leave a note or just talking about their experience and, and kind of what they experienced here at our church. And a couple of years ago, this guy walked in our church for the very first time and he left one little note about you. One little note about his experience. A few little words. And man, I'm telling you, I about jumped out of my seat, jumped through the ceiling, went crazy. This is what he said about you. He said, your love is easy to see. 
being around you, your love is easy to see. Do you need a personal vision for your life? Because there's one. That's a worthy one. To live your life in a way that your love is easy to see by everyone around you. The people would be able to say, I don't believe everything you believe. I'm not sure I agree with you and everything, but man, your love is easy to see. Guys, that's just a better way to live right there. That's a better way to live. But if you're a Christian, you know what you believe? You believe that one day you're gonna meet your Savior. You're gonna stand face to face with your Savior who loved you so extravagantly that he gave your life, his life for yours. And you're gonna stand eye to eye with Jesus one day. And how extraordinary and remarkable will that moment be if Jesus were to say to you, well done, your love was easy to see. Well done. Man, I want that for you. I want that for my life. I wanna hear those words. I want you to hear those words. And we want that for our church too. For us to continue to be a church where our love is easy to see to continue to commit to that. That's why I love this time of the year, man. This is one of my favorite times of the year as a church because we don't have a ton of traditions around here, but one of the traditions that's kind of formed over the last several years is we, we just kind of take a concentrate, you know, we take a moment in the fall, November and in December, where we just kind of concentrate our efforts as a church to say we want our love to be easy to see, not just when you're here, but we want our love to be easy to see in the community. We want our love to be easy to see by those who are surrounding our locations, by the people who are maybe on the margins and, and maybe have been outcast or maybe have need. We want our love to be easy to see for people who are outside these walls. And so the way we do that every year is we just we go into this initiative that we call Be Rich, and we didn't make, make up the name Be Rich. We stole that from the Bible. It's actually from a passage that in 1 Timothy where Paul is writing to this young Christian leader named Timothy, and he says this phrase. He says, be rich in good works. That's the best kind of rich. Be rich in good works. And so we just take it and say, man, that, that's who we want to be. We want to be rich in good works so our love will be easy to see. And so we have a philosophy and we kind of have an approach to this. And I've shared this with some of you before and some of you have been around, you, you know this. But look, our locations, we have 14 locations and across all of our locations, directly surrounding our locations, we've got partner organizations, nonprofit organizations that are doing extraordinary work in our communities, who are working with those who are marginalized, who are working with those who are impoverished, who are working with those who are under-resourced, who are working with those on the fringes and with need. And we just come alongside of this and we've, we made a decision a long time ago as a church, we just said, we're not gonna be their competitors. We don't wanna compete with them. We wanna partner with them because they're already doing extraordinary work. So we just wanna be the kind of church that comes along and says, how can we help you do the work that you're doing even better? And what's so cool to tell you, man, is this year we've got 70 partner organizations around all 14 of our locations, 70 partner organizations that we're working with this year to say, you're already doing extraordinary work, we just wanna come alongside you now and help you in whatever way that we can. 
And all year long, we work with these organizations. All year long, we're, we're, you know, we're helping these organizations in various ways. But again, in November and December, we just kind of, we, we give a laser-like focus. We give a concentrated effort and focus to pouring out extravagant love on these organizations and into our communities. And we do that lots of different ways. We give our time, we give our energy, but we also give them a lot of money. And we want them to be funded well because for a lot of these organizations, that's their ceiling. They're capped at what they can do because they just lack funding. And so we say, man, we want to give you some funding. Last year, it was crazy. And just in the month of November, we gave 400, you gave $451,000 to our partner organizations. It all went to them to be able just to go do good work. You can clap for that. Listen, if you clap for that, you're going to go crazy for this one because... Over the course, over the last several years, when you monetize all the gifts that you've given that we've poured out, over the last several years, we've given $5.9 million away to these organizations. They're doing extraordinary work in our communities. So we just wanna do this again. We wanna keep moving forward as we want our love to continue to be easy to see. And so I'm gonna ask you to consider giving again today, to, to moving on this, to acting on someone's behalf, to helping our partners. And the thing that we say every time that we've, we've talked about this, and I'll just remind you again, not one penny of anything that you give through B, our Be Rich Initiative, not one penny goes to our church. We don't take a penny. There's no overhead costs, there's no administrative fees, nothing. Every penny we give through Be Rich goes directly to our partner organizations to help them do the work that they're doing. It is the highlight of the year for our staff to be able to go to these organizations and to give them checks behalf of our church because you said, I want my love to be easy to see. Let's give, let's continue to move on this. And so the way we do this, we just kind of make it simple. I'm a simple guy. I like things being kind of simple. And so if you want to jump in, we do this every year. We just kind of say this. Here's kind of maybe a starting point if you need it. Just $39.95. Would you give $39.95? I feel cheesy every time I say it because I feel like the ShamWow guy, but whatever. I... I get over it because it just helps me. It's kind of a starting point. That might not seem like a lot to some of you. For some of you, that, that seems like a lot. You're in a season right now, so here's what I say. Some of you, you're in a season right now where that feels like a stretch. If you need to sit this one out, sit this one out. It's okay. But some of you, maybe that feels like a stretch, but, but you, know, you can give something. Here's what I'd say. Just participate maybe. Maybe that's your goal. Just participate. Some of you, that right there, that's what you were gonna spend on a meal this week. So just forfeit the meal and just give it here, if that's how God's nudging. Maybe for some of you, you know, that was what you're going to spend on coffee in one day this week. So, you know, give it, give it that way. And if you're here today, maybe some of you, you're watching online right now. You're watching online. Here's the thing. You just got all this money saved because you didn't drive to church. So you got gas money that you can give, right? So listen. Here's what else I know. Here's what else I know. Some of you, you're in a position right now, you're at a place, kind of a season of life, you can add a number in front of that. And if God's nudging you to do that, man, just follow through. That's all I'd say. Some of you, you can add two numbers in front of that. That's kind of the place that you're at. Just, if that's how God's nudging you, just, just follow through with it. Some of you have a massive problem, and your problem is you have so much money, at the end of the year, you don't know how to give it all away because you don't want to get taxed for it. I mean, I know we can all relate to that. But for some of you, seriously, that's a problem. And I got really good news for you. We've already vetted these organizations. So you don't have to stress about it. And maybe God's prompting you to be a part of this. Listen, I want to tell you some of the things that we've done. Because I just want you to know the impact that you're making and where this goes and what this is doing. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, 
because you gave, we were able to partner with an organization. One of our partner organizations helps families that don't, they can't provide food. They don't even have enough, enough money left over in their budget to provide food for their families on weekends. And so we partner with this organization, we come alongside them, and because of your generosity, we were able to fund weekend meals for 150 families to make sure that their kids are going into Monday with full stomachs. We funded the remodeling of a house that provides uh, transitional living for prisoners, men and women who are coming out of prison who want to get back on their feet, who want to live with dignity and give an honest day's work and they need a place. And man, I just, I feel like everyone deserves a clean, nice environment to come home to. I think everyone deserves that. And so we were able to go a couple of years ago, we took $20,000 because you gave, we took $20,000, we said, remodel this home. So these men and women feel like they have dignity when they come home and they can do good work and get back into society. One of our partners works with women who've survived domestic sex trafficking. And they take these women in and they love them and they care for them and they speak life and hope into their life. And we were able to take them a big check and say, make this home as beautiful as you can make it, because they deserve it. One of our partners is, a, is a, a therapeutic writing center, not writing, but writing center. So they have lots of animals and they invite you know, people with developmental needs to come in and, and they can work with these animals, they can ride the horses, they can take care of animals. And this partner organization last year, they, did, they needed a horse and they couldn't afford it. And we were able to go, because you gave, and give them the money to go get a horse. And so they bought a horse and his name is Scooby. <laughs> and I got a picture because that's Ford riding Scooby. And Ford, I got a note this week saying, when Ford is done riding, he always says, that's the best part of my day. And you made that happen because you are committed to letting your love be easy to see and for to seeing it. And those women are seeing it and those prisoners are seeing it. So I just, I don't think we're done, man. We don't think we're done. We think God has more. We think that God is continually calling us to go and to do more and so I'm just challenging you to give today before you leave. Give today before you leave. Before you get to the, your car today, give. And here's why, because I know you're like me. When you get to your car, you're gonna forget everything you just heard. So just give before you get to your car today. I'm challenging you to, give, to, 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 to step up and, and give an impulse give. You do impulse purchases all the time. You buy something and then it goes in that. You don't even know where it is. Some of them you bought them impulsively. You haven't even used it. But what I can guarantee you is that I can promise you this, you will never regret an impulse give, ever. So just give, and if that's you, man, look, here's the ways that you can give, it's really simple. At all of our locations, if you go out in the atrium, anywhere you see white balloons, you can give check, debit, credit cards, just do that. If you see green balloons, no matter where you are, cash, check. You can give LCBC app, that's how Jenny and I gave earlier. Very simple, it took us like 40 seconds, so you can do all of this right now if you want on, online stuff. LCBCchurch.com, be rich is another way, and then lastly, you can text LCBC be rich to 77977. In other words, there's tons of ways to give, tons of ways. We're not gonna close with a song today. We're not gonna even close with a prayer. Let's let our song and let's let our prayer today be a response 
Let's let it be a commitment that we will let our love be easy to see. Thanks so much for coming out today. We'll see you next week for week two of Slacktivism.